Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hey, it's Hugh Ballou. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. We're here. It's Tuesday at 2 if you're watching us live, East Coast time. Russell Dennis and Hugh Ballou are here every Tuesday recording another version of the Nonprofit Exchange. Russell, I trust you're doing well today. I am. I've been able to stay out of my own way all day long and have been looking forward to this podcast and others like it. So we are here for another edition. Yes, and um, it's a little different take on things today. We have Kyla Graham. Kyla, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, and tell people a little bit about yourself and why are you doing this important thing that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Russell. I am Kyla Graham, Synergy Accounting Advisory. We are a virtual CPA firm based out in Weston, Westminster, um, Colorado now. And we, I work primarily with nonprofits because what I noticed <laughs> was, so I have a, an audit background, so I used to be a financial statement auditor for nonprofits. And then I switched to the other side of the table and served as director of finance for a nonprofit. And I realized regardless of what, where I was, there was always a need. There's always someone who was just like, I need to talk to so-and-so about the thing, or I'm waiting for so-and-so to give me the thing. And I was just like, well, how could we streamline this? Like, how do we bring all of these people together and help them see, I, it's a team effort. <laughs> I'm counting on you, I need your help. This is how we do it. Um, he, I think when we were talking a little earlier, I was saying one of my uncles didn't want me to be an accountant. And his thing was like, you're always going to be waiting on someone, always waiting on someone. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> but I wanted to show, I wanted to be able to connect with nonprofits and show them, yes, someone's waiting on you. But if I can connect the what, what they're waiting on to your mission, it'll make, maybe it'll make it a little easier for them to give it to you. Maybe if you showed them it wasn't just about the receipt, <laughs> but it was about the connection to the mission, they would be able to get on board a little bit easier, a little bit faster, and help everyone do a little bit better. Oh, you know, to myself. <laughs> That's a Russell. You um, you made the connection with Kyla. How did you? How did you do that? I don't know. I just do that amazing thing I do, and there's just people floating around that know people that I should talk to. And when they say, you need to talk to this lady, I just run and and get into contact with these folks. She's doing amazing things. We just kind of uh, connected on social media. And, and when I found out about what she was doing, I thought, oh, yes, people need to talk to you. Because, you know, one of the things that makes a lot of people uncomfortable is the subject of money. And uh, we have to talk about that in the, in the, in the social uh, benefit and the social good fields. We can't avoid it. <laughs> Not at all. Why don't you start the questioning with our guest today? I usually start with, why don't you? Well, you know, Taylor, what was it initially that, that really got you into doing this type of work? And, and why nonprofits in particular? So it was, I got interested in nonprofits. In high school, I worked at a, as a telegiver. So if anyone doesn't know what that is, 
it would be someone who calls to say, hi, I'm calling on behalf of Center Vision Foundation and I'd like to raise $300. I lasted all of three shifts. <laughs> my supervisor was just like, I don't think this is a good fit. Um, and I was just like, you're right. <laughs> um, but I loved part of this, you know, getting into the role was learning what they do with the money that's being given. And so you tell the donors like, oh, with this much, you know, every dollar, this is what goes into the community. This is what we do is, you know, if you gave me $18, I could do amazing work, <laughs> which was the goal. Like <laughs> to get from 300 to 18 was our like mission. And so I went into school being like, okay, I know I want to work with nonprofits, but I don't know if I want to be like a day-to-day -day accountant. <laughs> and once I got to college, it was the idea of WorldCom and Enron, who are things. And I was just like, well, you mean like the accountants didn't tell you or you didn't know, you didn't understand? It was just a mystery out there. And I was like, oh no, this is, this is not okay. Because I had so many friends who were gonna go into nonprofit work that I was scared that they would end up with an accountant who was, wasn't gonna tell them what was happening. They were going to feel like, oh, I don't know what questions to ask. And I, I was just like, you're going to be on the news. I don't want you on the news. Like, you have a reputation to keep. Like, this is your, like, this is your name out there when you're the leaderboard organization. And so I, you know, it's so much harder as a nonprofit already to gain the public trust and get their buy-in that any, any type of news <laughs> could just wreck it. And I was like, oh, no, this is not. This is not how I want my classmates. They're gonna say they went to the same school. No, like we can't have this. Um, so that's what made me connect like my interest in working with nonprofits to like, okay, from the accounting standpoint, how do I support you? Well, yeah, it's really important for the leadership to keep their eye on the money, especially <laughs> board members. And, <laughs> and when you start talking about board members, very few of them are accountants. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, that's really kind of what we call their fiduciary responsibility to look at that. And so if there are, what are, what are the things that you see that most leadership, whether it's uh, the executive directors, people in the organization or the board members, what are the most common things that they just kind of overlook uh, that, that sort of, that's not on their radar that's really critical? Yeah, one of the things that I see that they overlook is just the idea of I should be looking at the financials. Because everyone gets into it because from a mission perspective, or most are getting into it from a mission perspective, they think of the financials as an afterthought, or they think if we talk about it for two minutes, it'll be fine. Like <laughs> we can cover that in two minutes. And I'm like, well, that's really hard because if you have a question and I only have two minutes to answer it, I'm going to give you the most blanket answer I can just so that you don't have more questions. And so I think that's part of it is that people aren't dedicating enough time to talking about it. And they forget that it's part of their role. If they forget that, oh, I'm not just here to think about the mission. I'm here to think about how do we manage this? So, you know, there are a number of organizations who just don't look at the financials on a monthly basis. They're like, okay, we'll table that for next time. And then it becomes a crisis. And it's like, we don't have enough cash to manage. And it's like, well, you didn't suddenly not have enough cash. <laughs> this is something that was 
there, if we were looking at this, if we were asking questions, um, we would know this. And so them thinking, them realizing that it's okay to ask questions. You know, when you join a board, most, you know, you knew, you knew going in, oh, I don't have this experience. And whoever brought you onto the board knows that too. So any questions you ask are fair because you come in with a, I'm just trying to understand a little bit more. So them remembering every question is okay to ask. <laughs> every, we know you don't know. And so you asking it up front makes it easier because someone else who might be on the board a little bit longer or might be, have been the EB for a little bit longer might just be nervous about asking it because they're like, I've been here so long. I should know this. <laughs> and so you give someone the opportunity to learn more. Uh, you know, it's a delicate balancing act because some of your board members are going to be more experienced. Some of them are going to have experience with accounting. Mm -hmm. uh, but how common is it for you to go in and find that as the nonprofit initially set the books up, but doesn't always adequately cover the information that they need to cover? Do you find that, that a lot of nonprofits have difficulty setting the books up in a way that's going to be thorough? Yes. <laughs> and part of that is because there's so much fear about money. I think people think once they get it set up, that's it. Let's not touch it again. No, it was so much work that first time. And what they should do is think about it again at the end of the year and think, did this report give me the information I needed? And if I had the same questions over and over again, does that mean we need to have some more accounts or better descriptions on accounts? All of those things are things that they can change. <laughs> it's not a, it's a living, you know, it's, you know, it's a chart of accounts. It's a skeleton that's growing with the body of the organization. And so thinking about it that way, like a baby, you know, it's born and it has a skeleton, but as it grows, that skeleton grows with it. And so your chart of accounts operates that same way. And so just accepting like, I think we need some more because no one wants a miscellaneous expense account that's, you know, $20,000. You're just like, it can't be miscellaneous then. We couldn't have spent that much on something. Like, we have to know what that is. Yep. What are some of the, the ways that a, a group, a, a leadership group, particularly one without an accounting background, what's the best way to sort of get them up to speed? Is there an approach or are there ways that, that they can learn, say, a, a very minimal or required amount of information that can keep them out of hot water, so to speak? Um, so it I would say that depends on what area. If you're thinking on, hey, what's the least they could know about the financials that <laughs> could get them through on you know, a monthly basis? I would say what questions are truly important to accomplish in their mission? So that would be how much cash do we have in the bank? And not just from a, oh, we have 50,000 in the bank, but how much of expenses does that represent? So getting an idea of, okay, on average, we spend 15,000. So we have 50,000 in the bank. We've got just over three months worth of money. That's a good like barometer for them. That way, if they notice, okay, we dropped lower than that, hmm, should we be concerned? Is there something going on? Does that mean expenses is too high? It would then trigger some more questions to say, is fundraising behind? Like all because, you know, some people are just focused on how much cash do we have? 
And so if they think about it, not just in terms of that dollar number, but what does that number represent in terms of what does it take for us to operate? It'll help them give a starting point to be like, okay, I have more questions. And then they'll begin to think of, okay, how do we build that out into something that we can get consistently that I don't have to keep asking these questions. You could just summarize that in a report. So Kyla, I want to piggyback on his good questions there. Um, we do get money sometimes in lump sums mm -hmm. for a nonprofit. And yeah. um, sometimes there's a, a death and there's a bequest, mm -hmm. a lump sum. And so it, there's a couple of questions behind this, but um, we, we tend to look at cash flow analysis. Where did the money go? It's the brake lights. So we got a lump money and you just described it. How do we set up a cash flow forecast? It's sort of like a budget, but it's a little different. You know, yep. when are we going to, our burn rate is this much. When are we going to run out before we need more? How do you help leaders understand this isn't a big lump of money when you stretch it out over <laughs> 90 days, it's gone. Yeah. So what I like to do is to start to get the cash flow. First, I look at the budget. So I essentially just take the budget and say, okay, if we divided that by 12, this is what it would be. And then we get to like the practicality of that. <laughs> and so it's, again, it's a team. And so talking to the development team, or if it's just the ED puts on their development hat, and says, okay, right now, if I were to look at all the grants we're going to apply for, we're not going to get all of it a portion each month. And so first moving moving with when the money is coming in into like what makes the most sense. So even though you're applying for this grant, you know, now in August, we're not going to get it in August. We're probably going to get it in October, maybe even December or January of next year. And so <laughs> plotting that out on the map or on the spreadsheet. And then the same for expenses. One of the things I think people underestimate is the cost of like fundraising. And they're like, oh yeah, we have a fundraiser. We have, you know, 60,000 set aside for the fundraiser. But you don't spend all of those, that entire sum right before the fundraiser. You spend it three months leading up to it, even after the fundraiser. And so really thinking about, okay, if we sat down and thought about it from a month to month and not just in the big picture of things, really putting that in, that helps them see that, okay, so someone passed away, we got that bequest. Oh, great, that's helpful. <laughs> but because of the timing of when that other grant is gonna come in, this does not actually you know, save us. <laughs> this is gonna just help us realize, okay, we've got, we've got a little work to do. Oh, are there expenses or are there bills that we're gonna have to hold? <laughs> until that check clears. And so really having to think that through. Um, I find it helpful because it helps them realize when to focus some efforts. Because then you're like, oh, if we don't like ask that donor to move their gift up, we won't hit payroll. You know, it, it puts that sense of urgency and reality into things. So I think it's always a good, a good practice. You know, one of the things, we talk an awful lot here at Center Vision about strategy. And so mm -hmm. uh, all of that money needs to be tied to strategy so that you know exactly what your costs going out, whatever that might be, program delivery, staff, services, uh, uh, equipment, material. 
uh, putting putting training material together, fundraising. That needs to be a part of your strategy. All of these things need to be a part of your budget for the income and what goes out. And trying to work with the timing uh, is very important too. Mm -hmm. But I think another area where people get confused is, oh, okay, well, we've got X number of dollars in the bank. We can spend that any way we want to. And that's not necessarily true. So there are, there are different categories mm -hmm. of revenues and expense that, that come in. So can you talk a little bit about some of those and, and where, how that needs to be accounted for? Yes. So for most organizations, there's the chance that they will get a restricted gift. So that'll be, maybe it's a grant that they say it's restricted only to your reading program. I know you have a, a food program, they don't get this money, only the reading program. And so those are called temporarily restricted funds. And so it's restricted for that purpose. Or maybe they say, okay, we're, you can only use it next year. We have the money, so we're gonna give it to you, but you can't use it now. And so that's a time restriction. And so in cases like that, you have to think about, okay, we can't spend the money. <laughs> we have it. Um, I think it's a good practice when you're talking, looking at that cash balance to say, okay, if we have 50, we know for 20 of that is restricted to that reading program that we're doing next summer or next spring. <laughs> Let's take that 20 out and say, okay, we had 50. 50 is in the bank, it's there. But 20 of that we can't touch right now. So we only have 30,000 to run with for the rest of the month or the rest of the quarter. So helping them put that into perspective. So now we've dropped down from, you know, if we were using the same math, 15,000, we dropped down from three months worth of money down to only two months. And so they have to think, okay, what do we need to change about that strategy that will bring us that money that we need to get us through that third month if no other, if nothing else changed. Unlikely that nothing else was changed, <laughs> but you know, wishful thinking. So part of that balancing act is in looking at fundraising and finding funds that can be used for multiple purposes. In other words, having operating or unrestricted funds that can be used for, for operations and, and uh, uh, you know, I know a lot of people look at the word profit and think of it as kind of dirty in some circles, but what what we call it for, for social enterprises is, is surplus. And so how do you have a conversation with leaders about surplus and the need to try to fill that in as much as possible? Is that is that something that that you find is, is a subject that a lot of people want to broach or is there a hesitancy and, and how do you deal with the hesitancy when it's there? Yeah, so that question comes up, especially for people who are new to the nonprofit space. They're just like, we're nonprofit, I shouldn't have any money. And I try to help them relate that to their cash at home. And I say, if your rent is due on the first and you said, I have no money on the 30th, your mortgage is still due. And so they have to think about the nonprofit's bank account that way. Ending the year with no money means that starting January 1, unless someone is, has money for you that day that's going to clear the bank, <laughs> that everything else is going to operate off of, you have to have some. So it's not a bad word. It's making sure you can survive day to day. 
is that surplus. So it's not that you're never going to use it. The IRS is going to say, why do you still have so much money? Well, we want to exist tomorrow. And so we need to have some money in the bank. Um, and so helping people think about it that way, that just like in your house, you have to have money to cover the next month. You've got to plan for that. I've got a follow-on question with that, if I can butt in. Um, you know, we uh, we learn the wrong things, and we have this word, stupid word, nonprofit, which I don't believe, Russ. That's a that's a nomenclature at IRS, isn't it? Tax exempt. Yeah. Tax exempt, not for profit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a five hundred one c three, and we like to call it a for purpose organization. Yeah. But you're right. We have this money shadow, as our colleague, Dr. David Gruder calls it, a psychologist. We have this, this mindset, mm -hmm. scarcity thinking that repels money. And then we say, oh, we're broke. And that's not a good place to be because there is abundance. And so we're, we, we need to learn to use the money. And uh, Russell will correct me, but the IRS has, has rules about how we use the money but it's gonna be used for the vision that we stand behind and to provide impact for people's lives. And so there's nothing shameful about that. We put ourselves in this, this negative thinking. Along with that, <clears throat> there's this, um, I, I, a lot of the accounting, we look at a profit and loss statement. Well, mm -hmm. that automatically doesn't fit. <laughs> so there, there ought to be another way to categorize things. And Russ, maybe you have the answer for this, but we look at this, this myth of overhead. Now, how much is overhead? Now, there's, there's necessary expenses that go into helping people. And how, you know, do you have any way of helping us classify those? It's not cheating, but it's, we're really using the money to impact people's lives. So it's not really all overhead. So how do you approach this topic of the, the percentage of overhead? Yeah, so I, like to remind people that without people or depending on your organization as space you don't have any impact like you can't do your work without paying rent or without paying your staff so they are not truly overhead but it takes you taking the time to say how is that staff member spending their time and once you can talk about this is what this staff member does this is how their work impacts our programming you then aren't, you can then say, this is an overhead. This isn't just general and administrative. This is a programmatic expense. Without them talking to the children, the children don't learn to read. Like you have to, you have to let people know that I cannot do this without people. It is a, again, it's a team effort. Like you have to engage these people. And so with that reminder, again, it forces you to now, okay, I have to think about how do they spend their time which feels like a lot of work at the beginning. But once you get a rhythm to it, it's easier and it's worth it because now you can say, no, this person, I, I can justify their salary or I can justify asking this grantor who says they only wanna pro support programs, they don't wanna support admin things. I can now tell you this is how this person is doing a program. They're not just administrative, which is especially important again, if you're an executive director and you're the primary all things to all people um being able to say nope <laughs> this is how i spend my time is really important 
you know, it, it really gets, it boils down to value. And I don't think value is a word that's provided in, the, in these circles. But when you, when you walk into a Neiman Marcus or you walk into a Chrysler plant or, or a Dell computer assembly factory, they're, they're not saying, they have an accounting category called overhead. But they're not saying, ah, these people are just access. Just keep sending us the checks and we'll get you what you want. They are builders of value and they are there and they build value and it has to be built in and it's an investment. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the program. It's not just the direct services, but everybody that goes in, you've got dollars that go into bringing that value. And the bottom line they look at is, is, is profit. And so there's a book out there by a guy by the name of David Grant called Social Profit. Uh, and it talks about social profit and measuring that. And so, you know, everything doesn't fit neatly in the pivot table on Excel, you know. There's other uh, information and other factors that go into delivering that value and getting the impact. And so... Uh, as you work with people, I mean, it's really important for those numbers not only to to quantify things, but to be able to tell a story of how those dollars are used effectively. And yeah. uh, what are some ways you help people do that? So one I definitely emphasize is going back to that chart of accounts. Um, again, because it's the structure, it's the backbone, it's for most organizations, how they're going to give their financial statements to an outsider, um, making sure that that is clear about what you're doing. <laughs> and so making sure like, is this, is this meals? Like is, or is this um, donor cultivation? Um, and making sure you're clear about why those names make sense. So that when you talk to someone and you say, hey, this is how much we need, or this is why we do the things we do, they can see that direct connection to the finances. They can say, oh, you have to buy these supplies because it's about the reading program supplies. It's not just about, I needed paper clips. No one, no one truly <laughs> wants to invest in your paper clips, but they want to invest in your reading program. And so making sure that those things are clear because I think a lot, a lot of people just take whatever, what's the standard in the system? And the standard in the system doesn't fit you. Um, that's why so many nonprofits exist is because they're not the standard. They are totally different. They're fitting a totally different need. And so making sure that that actually reflects it. And then being able to say that to other people. To say, oh, what's a way that someone who's not in our accounting department would be able to understand? And so letting them see that it's, it, once it leaves here, if no one else understands it, it's not useful. So we need to, like, you need to revisit it and say, okay, how do I get all the people who are going to submit receipts or request an invoice or turn in a check? How do I get them to understand what it means regardless of their role? And so it takes some fine tuning, but in the end, it'll be worth it because now you don't have to tag along with them. You can just say, these are the reports. We've already talked about how we get here and they can feel empowered and so much more confident to say, oh yeah, totally understand. I'm able to tell this to you know, someone else, a fund or even the auditors. Like the auditors are gonna ask you like, oh, why did so-and-so do the thing? And if you don't know and they don't know and no one understands, it just makes it frustrating because then they're just like, well, then did you need it? Is this accurate? 
Um, so making sure that the titles really capture what people, the essence of what people need, um, really helps helps that a lot. Yeah, I think part of the problem is that so the, these entities are so unique in so many different ways. You've got certain categories that would fall into your common chart of accounts. But some organizations are doing very specialized type work. But yeah, as you go through and you look at this thing, you know, people want to deal, even program directors I found, they want to deal with finances as infrequently as possible in a lot of cases. Is there any one thing in particular that you would point to to say that it's in your travels, the thing that you see most organizations overlook from a financial standpoint, what's that one thing that doesn't get enough emphasis that you see that may get folks into a little bit more difficulty? I would say people put it things off. <laughs> and so that is what makes it frustrating for those involved is the fact that we all have our phones, but we don't, I don't think we truly maximize how they could be used. And so um, one client, what we had them do is create, they used Google Drive. And we said, hey, every time you buy something, take a receipt and save it to the drive. You already have your phone. You have Google Drive on your, your, your phone, save it there, name it. And then you don't have to think about it again. And so really thinking about what can I do in this moment so that next week, next month, I don't have to think about this again. And so that's one of the things I feel people don't take advantage of. They're like, they're so worried about the receipts that they're just like, I'll look at it later. And then later comes and they forgot. Um, so I'm a big fan of like, just take a picture now. It feels like oh, so much work, but now you don't have to think about it. And I feel like that's so much <laughs> That's worth it. Like, I will take the two minutes now so I save myself, you know, the hour in a month when I don't remember. And I'm looking at my calendar like, what did we do that day? Oh, that's what that's for. So what we're talking about really is essentially it's just setting up good systems and making sure that you have good systems. And <laughs> I, I think, and, and uh, uh, there's a, an expert out there, a young man by the name of Brendan Bruchard, who talks about how to develop programs and do different things. And, and he had a program called Experts Academy. And there was one big takeaway that I had from that program that I always try to remember. And that's if something is not easy to access, understand, and use, people won't do it. So what, what are some of the, the, the ways when you're working with these organizations to help people uh, set up systems that are easy to use and access so that it's really quick and easy for them to do the type of reporting that's going to keep the numbers up to speed. Yeah, for most, I will, I typically ask them like, when, how are you trying to use these things? Um, so we have an understanding of where, what's their end goal, what's more common, what's easier, um, especially for if people come to us and say, I don't have an accounting system yet. Then I ask, are you going to use this on your phone or are you going to use this on your computer? Because it makes a difference. <laughs> and so really understanding what's your personality type, what are you going to be more prone to? Again, why, that'll help configure what makes sense for you. 
Um, and so once we have that idea, we can say, oh, you can check out Receipt Bank or let's look at, you know, Zero versus QuickBooks Online. If we can understand what is easiest for you, that'll help us figure out like what systems to help direct you towards. Because again, if they don't use it, it's no good to anyone. And so, but once those things are set up, it's not done. And I think that's one thing people expect things to be is done. They're like, but we did it already. It's over. We we signed off and letting them know that in three months, so I try to tell people like, if we know what you're trying to track, let's put in a mechanism to track that. So if you're saying, oh, we want to know how much we're spending on, the, you know, again, the reading program. Okay. Are we using classes or functions? Okay. Now we're tracking that for maybe three months. And now when you see those reports, do those reports tell you what you thought you would be, the information? No? Okay. Maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and talk about what is it that we thought, you, what is it that you thought you would get that you're not actually getting? And so it's that refining and fine tuning that makes it, it feels like a never ending process, but it's once it, eventually it will be done, or at least that part will be done and you can move on to this other area. Um, I like to say it's never done because if you think about an audit, every year, if someone's been through a financial statement audit, every year they come up with some new finding. You're like, but we fixed that other thing. And they're like, yeah, so now we found this new thing. So there's always something that could be improved upon. Or if you're like, I just want to be done. You're like, it's, there's always room for improvement. So remembering that will help keep you a little calmer that you're like, it'll be something different next year. It's fine. Um, but it helps you, it helps your system grow with your organization. It helps it grow with the new leaders because if your board changes, that a new board member might have a different perspective and say, Oh, I, you know, my, another organization I served on, we could tell this thing. And you can now integrate that without having, oh, now we have a totally different set of reports. No, we're not recreating new reports. We're not changing things in entirety. We're thinking about how do we access that type of information in the system that we currently use um, without making it that much more work for everyone. Um, yeah, and there, you know, there are, there, I mean, I've seen everything from uh, just people sitting down with worksheets to sophisticated uh, systems like MIP by Sage. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just they just run the gamut there. <laughs> you know, I was thinking back too to some of those early days, and when I uh, was a new revenue agent, my on-the-job training instructors had over thirty years experience and so they would give us new agents what they call training cases and and uh i'd run into things and and uh it was real head scratching when i was sitting there and we were looking through it and one of those guys would say wow never seen anything like that before <laughs> after 30 years so it's always something that's always some type of moving target but uh, when you're when you're sitting down and looking at the type of information that somebody would need based on the types of funding they're trying to get, how do you help them pick a system that's going to grow and, and meet their needs for a considerable period of time? Because some of these some of these can can be quite an investment, but 
uh, it needs to be something that can grow with them. How do you strike that balance between price and sophistication, knowledge level and growth needs for the organization? Yeah. So one thing is to think about as you're, as you're looking at any accounting system, will this, who's going to be using it? So who's going to be using it now? And where do we want the organization to grow, to go? Because not all, not all people start a nonprofit with the idea of we're going to be $10 million and have to manage all of these things. And so if you don't need to manage $10 million, maybe you don't need MIP or a Great Plains type program. Maybe QuickBooks will suffice. And so thinking about that first and with the understanding that most larger systems can take your data from a smaller system and just okay, we're going to just convert that, or there is going to be a conversion process. So it's easier to grow up. Like you can, you can fit into it eventually, um, but you don't want to think about it in terms of, oh, so next year we don't need it. Think about it in terms of in five years, would we need it? And then it'll be easier. There's less changes. Because then if you're like, we got to change every year, no one wants to do that. <laughs> but if you're thinking, okay, in five years, would we need this? No, okay, we're good. And then trying to really project, you know, several years out. Because some conversions can take so long. I have a colleague who is having a conversion at their organization and it's two years in the process. And so the idea that, you know, for them, they're like, it's, you know, we're finally testing. It's great. Like we're almost done. But if you're thinking about like, we should just go for the biggest and greatest. If no one understands how to use it, that's not helpful. <laughs> so really yeah. thinking about scaling. Can we use this for now? And would, as we grow, would this be able to convert into a different um, type of software is really where you try to strike that balance. So yeah, it really kind of boils down to people. Your key people would be your, your financial officer and, and your board treasurer. And it's really got to begin with the leadership. So uh, talk, if you can, just for a moment about what makes a good board treasurer, because this is going to be that, that person in that leadership role that is, that is really got to have a pulse on the money. So, so how would you go about picking a treasurer? What do you look for? And what sort of ways can the rest of the organization support that treasurer? Yeah. So when you're picking a treasurer, I would look for someone who has some financial knowledge. They don't necessarily have to have a nonprofit background, but having an idea of finances and an interest in learning more. Because as they get more familiar, they'll realize, ah, oh, man, I really need to like hone in on that or I need to ask these other questions. And they should also be someone who's not, a, like, because they're gonna have to ask questions, they should not be afraid to ask questions. So they should not come in as a, a know-it-all. They are there to guide the organization. And so because there's that delicate balance of what is the executive director doing and what is you know, the on-site or the contracted bookkeeper doing, that treasurer is the interpreter. Okay. <laughs> They're trying to take what is that treasurer doing or what's that accountant doing? and being able to translate it for the executive director and for the board. And so if they come in with a interest, they can really engage with that board um, 
and say, okay, I talked to the accountant, this is what happened, and this is what that means for us, and they can lead the way. And so someone who is comfortable saying that, some comfortable saying, okay, I know we've always done it that way, but we need to change that. <laughs> um, because it, it happens, you get used to seeing the same reports, and with a new person comes a new perspective. And when they come in, them being able to say, okay, these reports are not helpful, which can be hard, can be incredibly hard, um, but it's necessary. I've seen organizations with 12 pages of financial statements, and I'm like, no one's reading this. No one is looking past the first page. And so that board treasurer has to be able to say, this isn't useful. I need something different and be able to talk through what that difference could be. Um, and some of the, I feel like some of the best board treasurers are ones who can do that themselves. Because sometimes the board doesn't know what they don't know or what they need. And depending on the experience level of your accountant, they don't know what, what they could be giving you. And so having a treasurer who's like, I've seen a spreadsheet that looks like a thing. I'm going to try to manipulate, <laughs> manipulate that. So they've got to be, I was an explorer, you know, a creative of sorts, just because they're curious. They're like, there has to be an easier way. So really tapping into that. Um, and I think that widens the pool because now you're not just looking at, they've got to have a strong finance background. No, they've got to have like a good solid foundation, but they've got to be willing to say, I know I don't know. And so I'm willing to experiment and learn more about that. Um, and it, again, it'll help your organization grow because now you're like, new perspective, we would never have thought about looking at it this way. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and in, in the beginning, it's really hard, but I think it pays off in the end because then, you know, like this new perspective really helps shape and give new life to the board. I encourage treasurers to do kind of like a dashboard report, you know, sketch your key indicators and yeah. you know, what, how much cash did you take in, how much cash did you spend? Um, and I think it's an education for board members to know what they're looking at. Is there... Is there an equivalent for nonprofits in the ratios, the, the quick ratio and those ratios that you look at in a business? Is, are there ratios that indicate good health that we have in nonprofits? So there are um, ratios. I think you could, depending on your type of organization, you're still going to, you know, you might be still looking at quick ratios or looking at how's our current, you know, what's our cash turnover? Because if you're getting a lot of grants that they, you got the award letter, but you didn't actually get the check. <laughs> Um, you might have some days that you're like, whew, when is that coming? Or maybe you have pledges. So there's always ways to adjust those regular standard business ratios to say, how does this apply? Like, because again, that chart of accounts, if you're just taking it straight out the box, all those account names are the same. So the ratios all work. It's just trying to think about which ones make the most sense for your organization. So I like to tell people to look at things in terms of, you know, percentages, if they're not ready to look at. The main ratio I would say is, what's your cash on hand or days of cash available? After that, I would say, look, think of things in terms of percentages. So how are we year to date as opposed to our percentage of the budget? Um, and thinking about it then, I also like to do, so I have like a dashboard that I have that I can, I set up for people sometimes. 
and I'll do a, this is what percentage we should be at based off of the time of the year. <laughs> and so because they have that, oh, we're in August, so 75% of the year of the budget should be spent or 75% of the money should be in. And then seeing, okay, where do the, all these percentages fall? They can now say, okay, what does that mean? And it's usually a cash flow reason. It's usually, okay, is it a timing issue or did we just under budget or over budget? Um, but having that as a guide really makes it a quick look to say, okay, we said 75, we're actually at 95. Should we be concerned? Um, but if they don't, if they don't see that percentage, you just don't know. You're just like, that number looks nice, but it's that number in relation to what? Um, so really thinking about that and knowing that those dashboards are living things. And does this capture what we needed to capture? And one of the reasons I love Excel is because you can then say that. I'm like, if that, if program service revenue is not where your focus is, maybe we don't even need that on the dashboard. If that is not critical to us, if we're more about what is our um, corporate donations or what is our grants looking like, let's put the things that we deem important there. And the board has to say what's important. That's part of that duty is to say, this is important. This would change the decision we make. And so adjusting that accordingly. Love it. Love it. We got about three minutes for one more question and then I'll do a sponsor moment and then we'll come back to you to, to leave us with a closing thought or a tip okay. or maybe a challenge at the end before Russell closes out this really helpful interview. Thank you, Russell. You got that, got that zinger question for her. Well, there's, there's a few, you know, and there, there's a number because this is such an interesting subject and, and it can go in so many different directions. Uh, it's really important, you know. If, if there's one thing that, that nonprofits don't make maximum use of, in other words, if there's something that is underutilized as a resource for managing your finances, what would that be? I would definitely say your volunteers. I think volunteers are the unsung heroes of most organizations, and we don't always capture their skill sets. So really, if you're a small organization who's just like, we can't afford to hire one more person, really tapping into your volunteers and saying, how could we use you better? And seeing, is there someone who has this interest that would help you in the process? One of our clients, they have an amazing volunteer who helps with the filing of things. And so we know when it's you know near month end, we're like, hey, is she in this week? And they'll be like, yeah. And we're like, okay, great. We know things will be there on time. And because one, they gauge, hey, is this of interest to you? But is this an area you could, you feel like would be helpful for you? And they took the time to train them. And so, you know, making sure you take the time to tell people this is how it needs to be done makes a difference. Everyone wants to help. They want to do the best job possible. So you have to give them those skills and you have to tell them, this is just how we filed it. This is how you use the scanner, you know, the, how you, whatever that's, whatever that missing piece is, giving it to them so that they can do the best they can. Well, that's a really, a lot of useful information, Kyla. Thank you. And you, you make it so understandable. Our sponsor today is Word Sprint. Bill Gilmer and his team help us print and mail our magazine. But right now, we're 
we're promoting two live events. Russell and I are going to be in West Palm Beach, Florida in a couple of weeks. And we're inviting people to come to that event. So if you're in West Palm area, you're getting a postcard this, this week and you'll get another one next week. It says, come to the event. Here's why. Um, most of us don't know the things that Kyle is teaching us. Most of us don't know how to empower our boards. Most of us don't know how to create a pathway for everybody who's in the organization. That's called a strategy. Uh, so that everybody knows how to be engaged. And by the way, the strategy is what the treasurer builds your budget out of. We want, we have these milestones. What's it going to cost? And so all the mechanisms Kyle was talking about are defined in your strategy. <clears throat> then we can do a development plan. We're going to talk about that at the uh, workshop in, in August. So you go to leadershipwestpalm.org. It's going to be in West Palm Beach. So it's leadership. It's all about leadership. Nothing happens without leadership. Leadershipwestpalm.org. That'll give you the details for that event. So we'd like to see you there. Bill Gilmer helps us stay in touch with our tribe, promote our events, and convert those names into actions. So we want people to come to our events. We want them to learn how to manage their nonprofit better. So when you, uh, when you go to the nonprofitexchange.org, the nonprofit exchange is what you're listening to or watching right now. If you go to that page on the website, you see this interview with Kyla and years worth of interviews. So you can look at the archives. But when you go there, it's the Center Vision community. It's the synergy of a common vision, Center Vision Leadership Foundation. So when you go to the nonprofitexchange.org, you'll be on the page for these interviews. But at the top of that page, there's a blue button that says join. And join for free. Don't pay any money. Join for free. And then part of the first value you get is a program I've created called the Five Pillars to Success. These are the five pillars you must have. And by the way, um, one of them is finance. you got to have this, this whole system that Kyle was talking about to be successful. So you'll get that program that I sell for $100, $97. You get that for free just for joining our community. And then you can see the other benefits then you can go up to a higher level. When you go to a higher level membership, you get really good discounts on live events, on content, on lots of different things that we offer for nonprofits, which are already at a really good price. And at any level, there's a lot of free content. But as you step up the membership level, there's more free content. So Bill Kilmer helps us stay in touch with our tribe. And several clients I work with that have nonprofits that are really growing their footprint know they need to stay in touch with their donors. And the donors remember you when you have this formula, 30% the right message, 30% the right person, 30% the right rhythm, top of mind marketing. 10% has got to look good, but not extravagant. So Bill Gilmer at wordsprint.com, go there, get a free interview, find out how he can help you keep your donors donating. Actually, they're supporters. They're not donating an organ to you when they die. They're giving you some money. So let's go back to Kyla. We've talked about the Center Vision community and the wealth of content like this, this interview today that we have for you. You're not by yourself. We put you in with a lot of other leaders. So join our community. Kyla, I hope you'll join the community and look around and see what's there. But 
What thought or tip or challenge would you like to leave in people's mind after this very helpful interview? So I would like to challenge your audience to ask more questions. So at their next board meeting, really look at the financial statements and say, if I had to make a decision, could I do it? Purely based off of this information. And if they can't, ask, ask for more things. <laughs> say, hey, could we do a dashboard? Or if we already have a dashboard, can we change the dashboard? And so those are the things I would recommend. Um, we actually have a resource on our site. Um, so they went over to Synergy Accounting Advisory. We have like a, an assessment they could do and they could think about, okay, based off of that assessment, are there questions we need to ask our um, treasurer or our accountant to really make sure these financials hone in on <laughs> what do we need to do? Because um, again, it's, not, it's a team effort. And so if the board members are looking at it, they can get feedback and everyone all around can be improved. So yeah, that's really important to go look at. Go look at that. And we will have the website up on the page for your interview, Synergy Accounting Advisory. Go there, take a look, find out a little bit more about some of the tools that Kyla has that can help you move your, your, uh, your, your uh, organization for it. You know, it's really about tracking the money. Good stewardship encourages people to contribute to what we're doing because we're making a good impact when we're good stewards of the resources that are entrusted to us. Thank you so much, Kyla. Uh, thank you for, for taking time to sit with our audience today. We are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Nonprofit Exchange, bringing you thought leaders like Kyla every day who have all sorts of programs and, and information that can help you take your operation to the next level as you continue to grow and make impact out there. If you can't be with us at our designated time, there's no need to worry. Subscribe to the Center Vision Leadership Channel on YouTube where you'll find uh, many of these interviews, but you will find all of them at thenonprofitexchange.org, which takes you to the Center Vision Leadership website. And you can subscribe to iTunes and Stitcher to the Center Vision, uh, to the Nonprofit Exchange. iTunes and Stitcher, those are available for download. They go up every week. Uh, we do this interview. We're talking today, as happens to be Tuesday, Next Sunday, this interview will be up on iTunes and Stitcher. So you can download that. You can listen to it in your car or on the go because leaders learn all the time. Leaders read, leaders learn, and we have a growing and learning community. So when you come to the centervisionleadership.org website, be sure to click on the blue button and, and join so that we can get information on the latest happenings out to you. Thank you very much for all of the things that you do. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to tune in and join us if you're available at this same time, 2 p.m. Eastern for the Nonprofit Exchange. Until then, keep making a difference and thank you for all that you do. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.